0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
1: To, to unemployed, unemployed workers, workers fight back, back. back.
0: Join your hosts Anne
1: and Kevin, that's me,
0: the second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show
1: between 5 30 and 6 30 pm
0: here on 3CR Community Radio, Radio.
1: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
0: for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone, Everyone in, in our, our community has value.
1: value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Anne, how are you doing?
0: Hey, Kevin, how are you doing?
1: Not too bad. Hey, uh, what's the date tonight? Oh, I always like to know what the date is. Oh, this, this, is my, this is my calendar the show. Dates are not my
0: strong point, Kevin. <laughs> I think it's Friday the 12th,
1: <laughs> Friday the 12th of November. Yesterday was Remembrance Day. We remember when, um, it's a very important day, we remember when Gough Whitlam was sacked on this day <laughs> back in 1975. It's a, a, tra- a tragedy that still enrages me and many of others. Mm, yes.
0: Yeah, and hello to Larry and Larissa who... Wherever you're joining us from, thanks for hanging out with us for the next hour.
1: Yeah, it's good to have some listeners now. Um, this week, Anne, we we're going to talk about this in our last show, um, mm. but we we just weren't we're just prepared about out of time. it. Time and uh, uh, but Prue Goward, um, the uh, a <laughs> minister. She was a, a state minister for in New South Wales. Yes, a, a conservative. Um, Prue's
0: come to our attention, <laughs> and,
1: she, and I'm sure many of our listeners may um, already have their radar up on this amazing article that she wrote because mm-hmm. it was outrageous. It was was so revealing. Uh, Yes. It's just...
0: Fascinating. Prue, I was quite fascinated. Um, It was published back in October 19th, so only a few weeks ago and that was during Anti-Poverty Week. So I don't know if that was a coincidence or a bit of a misstep on no, the it, part of the It wasn't AFR. a coincidence.
1: That they, they spoke <laughs> to Prue specifically to speak about poverty during, ah, Anti-Poverty, during Week. Anti-Poverty Week. During Anti-Poverty Week. And she came up with what...
0: With, uh, she came up with this opinion piece in the Australian Financial Review... And before we go into it in detail, can I just read like the headline and and the quote just to give people a taste?
1: (laughs) This has given me
0: like hours of entertainment, Uh, I have to say. uh, Yep.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) So the headline is Why You Shouldn't Underestimate the Underclass. So there's a bit of alliteration there, the underestimating the underclass. And then I don't know if it would have been the editor of the Financial Review or Prue herself who thought it was worth highlighting this part of the article. So the subheading is they are damaged, lacking in trust and discipline and highly self-interested, but the poor are still a force that Australia needs to properly harness.
1: Isn't she just marvellous and caring and, and, and etc? Look, it's, it's too much for me, Anne. I, I, I already need to have a break. This is doing my head in. We're going to start with a song. Normally I play um, current uh, local stuff, but I've had a bit of a, a – uh, Nostalgic Week and I've, I've found some stuff from, uh-huh. from, uh, from the archives uh, X-Ray Specs which is a band that more people should know about um, and they don't but they're actually hard, quite hard to find and I picked up an X-Ray Specs CD this week mm-hmm. so I'm going to play it <laughs>
0: Are. Here to stay.
1: So, that Anne mm-hmm. was the magnificent polystyrene fronting X ray specs, and I think that she is the most authentic punk voice that was ever that ever sang.
0: What era are we talking of? That's
1: 1976. Okay. That's like this is really um, uh, early punk, and she was even shunned by the other punks because she was a girl, right? But, right. But right. Um, she's magnificent. I would encourage everybody to follow up X-Ray Specs, except you can't find them on Spotify. They've got one live album on there, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's enough me Raven, that's about X-Ray Specs. That's a music tip from
0: Kevin. Germ-Free <laughs>
1: Adolescence, X-Ray Specs, um, that was the title track from the album, uh, and that's the most gentle song. I thought, I thought I'd better not scare you <laughs> away, some of the other ones... Thanks,
0: appreciate the gentleman. <laughs> I might have sent you
1: out the door. They're pretty good. Now, uh, speaking We're of... We're
0: talking... We've got a very interesting specimen under the microscope this week, Kevin.
1: <laughs> Prue, Prue Goward. Prue
0: Goward and her opinion piece, which... It's worth having a real good look at for a couple of reasons, and one is because it's there was quite a lot of reaction to it, and it's what some of the people who like us, Kevin, who were reacting to it, are calling an inadvertent honesty piece, which means I think what she thought she is saying is not what we're all hearing her saying.
1: <laughs> what she thought she was saying, um, she thought was fair and and uh, and reasonable, mm. and, and that she's just being honest, right but it was also outrageous.
0: Well, it was very revealing of what she really thinks and also revealing, I think, of what maybe the... You know, you might call the ruling class in this country. The elites who are running the country are making decisions that affect the rest of us, what they all think as well.
1: You said the word class, and I'm going to come back to that. But but, can you give us some more of what she what she wrote? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: Actually, before I do, can yeah. I just mention, you know, you were saying that she was a New South Wales minister with the Liberal government there. Her portfolios covered things like family and community services right, and social housing and mental health. So she was right there in the social services sector. And before and after having this little stint in politics she was a, she's a journalist and a lecturer and she's returned I think to Western Sydney University where she is, get this, a Professor of Social Interventions and Policy.
1: At the University of Western Western Sydney. Ah,
0: yeah. And that word interventions makes my skin crawl. If if you've ever heard of anything like the Northern Territory intervention. Yeah, yeah. And
1: and she's also a former Sex Discrimination Commissioner. Right.
0: So she's there helping us fight discrimination as well.
1: (laughs) So so, so this is someone who is prominent uh, in our society in terms of decision-making and policy, etc., so what does she reckon about the, um, the proles? The proles. The, the proles. proles.
0: Um, well, it's really interesting that she's even using the word proles. I'll, I'll just read the, <laughs> the first uh, paragraph here. Yep. If there is hope, it lies in the proles.
1: Proles being the proletariat, <laughs> the, the proletariat. The The working class.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting even to think about that word because the person to use the the idea of the proletariat, I think that was part of Marx's and Engels' analysis of class. Yeah. And the proletariat was that group of workers who they could see as potentially would rebel against like what was really a brutal economic hierarchy. And so that group of workers, they were the ones who'd come off the land. They'd come out of the peasantry and they were in the factories, in the cities, in these newly created factories. And so I think Marx and Engels were looking at them, and and here are these people who they've broken with the hierarchy, with you know the lord of the manor and the the mayor, and they've and they're trying to find a better life for themselves or trying something different. So the people with a bit of you know umph in them, and they get into these situations where they're working like. 14, 16, 18 hour days in dangerous, horrible conditions, and then living in these overcrowded, squalid um, places where I always think of bed bugs. <laughs> I always think yeah. of bed bugs. And then they're eating like, you know, horrible food. I always think of like, uh, you know, boiled cabbage. So you get home at midnight, you. You eat your boiled cabbage, you rock, you Vol- know. Fall eat- into
1: your bed, your bed bug ridden <laughs> bed and, and have a good night's <laughs> sleep. And, and then you wake up at 6 a.m. in get the morning. Get your four hours sleep. You know, back in my day, it was a wet paper bag and that's all that right, sort of that's stuff. Right.
0: So that was the proletariat.
1: Yeah. And, and today's uh, equivalent of that would be uh, what we'd call our essential workers. You're talking about your base level workers, people on uh, the basic minimum wage or mm. below, uh, mm. people who are uh, on casual employment and are, are underemployed. Yeah. You're talking about. You're talking about the honest, base-level workers. Yes,
0: and and for Marx and Engels, they were easily organised because they're all under a roof, so you could sort of get them together and get them to rebel. So anyway, then George Orwell comes along, (laughs) who Bruce I'm referring to. And George Orwell writes this book called 1984, and I guess a lot of people would have heard of the movie – And in this book, he is describing the conditions of what he calls the proles, which comes from this word proletariat. And Kevin, I kind of always assumed that 1984 was a satire. right? And it's a satire of like the Stalinist view of the populace of the proles. And so I don't think Orwell was being literal when he was describing the proles, but the way you read um, what Prue has to say, she seems to have taken him literally. So she makes makes two mistakes in this article, which I think is what set her up to be inadvertently honest. Can I say at
1: least two mistakes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, two misreadings. And the first one is she misreads Orwell, and the second one is that... Um, what's prompted her to write this article is she's trying to understand what was going on with the anti-lockdown protests. And what she thinks is going on is that the proles have gotten out into the street. And the problem for her, this is me reading between the lines and you might disagree with it, but she's trying to understand why does she actually agree with the riffraff that are out on the street? Because they're all protesting lockdowns and um, running around Melbourne and Sydney and other places um, shouting out, freedom, freedom. Yep. As uh, someone who comes out of the right wing as well, I think Prue probably thinks that um, the lockdowns went on for too long and that she wants her freedom back. So she's trying to figure out, how on earth is it that I can be agreeing with the riffraff?
1: She she describes the proles, um, she typifies them as the freedom march, the libertarians who are storming the bridge uh, and uh, and taking over the, the shrine. She really, she draws a, a direct connection between the libertarian protesters who she regards as the proles. Mm-hmm. So she's saying that these unwashed, uh, uh, unintelligent, uh, uneducated protesters um, are the same ones who are taking over the Westgate Bridge and taking over the shrine etc That's which,
0: the mistake she makes
1: I found that really offensive yeah i just yes. I just sort of thought and this is all part of the, the confusion of this um, this libertarian movement uh, moving into unions and workers and really confusing the um the dialogue you know I mm. found myself for the first time in my life, Anne mm. saying those protesters should be locked up and the key should be thrown away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah 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 it really challenges uh your views about the right to protest doesn't it. And you just go oh my god what am i saying you know um but but it's, it's... actually just to, to to like look at the protests for a moment because the way i understand it and i agree with um some people too who were talking about that it was that those anti lockdown protests which are still continuing the way i kind of see those is they're a really good example of co-option. And I don't know if you've ever been part of organising a protest or gone to a rally or anything, and always you hear people will say to each other, "Well, oh, we better be careful we don't get co-opted. And I used to look at them and go, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not as if I'm going to get out there with a sign and suddenly get brainwashed by somebody. Yeah. But the Melbourne protest, particularly, there was actually real construction workers that may or may not have been part of the CFMEU, They were actually started a protest because they didn't like a few things about the uh, lockdown restrictions, including that I think they were losing some of their indoor space to have breaks, which would be a very sensitive point for the construction industry. Like that would be a hard one, right? to be able to not have to sit out in the elements. to yeah, They don't break. like getting
1: ground to the unions, and for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. So there
0: was a legitimate protest going on, and then they got joined by the anti-vaxxers. <laughs> so this is what co-option looks like. The anti-vaxxers come out because they have an anti-government agenda as well, and so they kind of swell the numbers there. And then the anti-vaxxers in turn get co-opted by what I've heard called the RWNJs, the right-wing nut jobs, which right. is... You know, you don't want to be too dismissive of what's going on there, but certainly it's the xenophobic right or the nationalist right who also have an anti-government agenda. So that's what we saw going on. The numbers got bigger and bigger because there was a bit of this co-opting going on, which Prue completely doesn't recognise what she thinks is going on. She talks about the proles (laughs) as... um, they they reject the rules and live by their own. They were to be feared and were, to use my mother's words, not very nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not like her. She's very nice and they're not very nice.
0: They were a significant part of the anti-vax protests because they don't like being told what to do. And even though many drew their inspirations from spurious websites, they had correctly – here's the really interesting part yeah. – they had correctly identified – the freedoms so the rest of us had only been too happy to give up. State leaders might have deplored the demonstrations, but they also knew they represented the tip of a sentiment the rest of society keeps hidden from view. Freedom has gathered pace. So she's a freedom lover. This word freedom is a bit of rhetoric that's been gathering pace over many decades within what I call the In fact, Kevin, I've I'm, i I'm had a lifelong fascination with the right myself. Right. <laughs> Um, going back even to the nineteen forties and fifties, we've got the economic right. You know, they use the word free, the free market, right? The free mm. marketeers. It's not and... free; it's
1: very expensive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Depends who's paying, doesn't yeah. it? Essentially, I think the neoliberal elite um, have an economic agenda, and they realise that this economic agenda is not going to be popular. So they've they've drawn a coalition under this umbrella using the word freedom. And so they bring in people like the religious right, the xenophobic right, you know, the nationalist right. And f- proves probably of the political economic right, and she's trying to understand why she actually agrees with these protesters.
1: Who, who, who she would describe as, um, you know, uh, supermarket workers and and uh, uh, all of our essential workers. They're not. They're, they're like, she's confused the identification of who these people are. I think what's happened in the union movement, and um, I have it on good authority that anybody who was in the CMFEU who is a libertarian is a minority is a uh, very much um, they 're on, they're on the fringes they're, they're, unions are about solidarity, not about individualism uh, and uh, there was some capture in there uh, because unions are used to fighting for uh, against government uh, or against you know authority to get what they want to further their cause and so the whole um, libertarian freedom thing against uh, against the vaccination fitted a lot of their rhetoric. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of taking up a challenge and, and, and fighting the forces that be. Mm. So they kind of found that attractive. But then what they realised was, uh, what most of them realised was, hey, this is a health issue.
0: We need to work together <laughs> to
1: overcome this. That we're a union. we used to working together, except some of them uh, mm. uh, seem to have strayed. Uh, and, mm. you know, but the other thing to, to notice about all this, though, Anne, is that we have a really high takeover of the vaccination rate. So go through the numbers. Uh, um, we're going to reach about 95% of double-dosed uh, eligible adults. Um, mm-hmm. So that means we've got 5% of the population who aren't vaccinated, who choose not to be vaccinated for a number of reasons. They might have some uh, legitimate health issues. Um, they might genuinely um, be concerned about their their uh, their biology. You know, they don't like putting things into themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so the actual number of people protesting, the, the the libertarians protesting, the ones who are basically just saying, "Don't tell me what to do." Mm-hmm. Um, has got to be one or two percent, and they're making a disproportionate amount of noise. Right. It's, and, and and they've probably misinformed some others. So it's a really small group who is we shouldn't be talking about because.
0: No, no, we're only talking about them because Prue's talking about them. Yeah, yeah, and true. In, in talking about them, Prue then reveals what she really thinks about this group of people she's calling the proles. And just just as a reminder, just as a context for this whole issue, too. Um, as as Rachel Suet's tea towel says, I have to say the the Greens Party—they make me laugh. One yeah. of their ways of uh, doing some fundraising is they make these tea towels, and I have to get hold of one of these. Uh, they put the face of their representatives on it, and then a quote. So Rachel Suet's tea towel. There's a little image of Rachel there. It says Rachel who? So Rachel Suet is a retired senator from Western Australia, right? Who? Uh, fought as well as anyone can fight the fight against the dominant neoliberal narrative about poverty. Right. And her tea tale says poverty is a political choice. Yes. So this is very different from what we're hearing from Prue, which poverty is an individual choice.
1: Well, that's the same old narrative. The the, the, um, the conservatives blame, uh, victim blame, the um, uh, people who are in poverty. It's their own fault because they're, they're uneducated and they're incapable. Well, well, she says it at the beginning. They, they're, they're lazy and, and, the, and they, they lack motivation. The fact that um, they are unemployed by policy, mm. and we've spoken about the Nairu many, many times, the mm-hmm. uh, non-accelerating... Uh, inflation, inflation rate of, rate of unemployment, unemployment, which is a, a construct. It's a policy setting by the government to make sure that people
0: mm. are
1: unemployed to put mm. downward pressure on wages. It doesn't mm. need to exist. It mm. could change tomorrow. Yep. That's why people are unemployed, not because yep. they're, they're yep. uneducated. Yeah.
0: Unemployment is a, is a policy choice and poverty is a policy choice. Yep. And if I got hold of uh, Rachel's tea towel, I would actually also add to it that especially by a government that issues its own currency – So the reason we say that poverty is a policy choice is because it depends on how much the government is spending. And the Australian federal government can never run out of Australian dollars.
1: But, and as we just saw, uh, uh, one of the, our recent interviews with uh, who's the, the fine fellow from the, um, the the unemployed workers union from Canberra? Oh, Daniel. D- yes. Daniel, who um, who pointed out that when they doubled new start for, for mm. the job seeker rate, poverty
0: went down to less than ten percent.
1: Yeah, know, it was. It went from sixty to seventy percent mm. to to about five or six percent. Mm. Uh, we've seen how quickly they can yeah, change can, those settings. It's, so it's a policy choice.
0: It's but, a policy choice. If you see poverty and you're refusing to do the spending to alleviate it, then you're choosing to have the policy. That's something that we really need to remember when we hear Prue talking about what she thinks poverty is all about. So one of the things she says, as a shopkeeper's daughter, I, I understood poor people. They obeyed the law, worked hard, sent their kids to the same primary schools I attended and were equally ambitious for their children. But the underclass, small as it then was, behaved differently. So she's doing a really old trick there, which is the trick of dividing the people who are poor into the deserving and the undeserving, undeserving. poor. And this is our old trick that goes back more than 100 years, goes back to the poor houses of England where there were people that deserved charity and people who didn't deserve charity. And the people who didn't deserve the charity, they didn't deserve it because they were poor due to inherent qualities, something about them due to the choices they've made, or there was something inherently wrong or bad about them. So... She's going back to that old trick.
1: Why can't they all just be successful entrepreneurs? And and, and if they can't um, uh, <laughs> get get their own business going, just ask their mum and dad to to chip in a few bucks. And oh, I can't remember who it was one of the, one of the um, uh, conservative politicians who, who said, if, "Well, if you can't afford a house, then just hit your folks up for a loan." And, and um, oh, dear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't remember that one. And, and this this taps right into the, you see these little hints of these mm. qualities in the conservative politicians, uh, mm. some more so than others. And, and uh, Broman Bishop. Could have written the same article. I, I would suggest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's there. It lies beneath the skin, as they would criticise the say Labour or um, parties of the left of having this socialist undercurrent. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing here mm-hmm. is yeah. the conservatives uh, displaying this superior, elitist, classist um, attitude that they they don't admit. The only
0: reason it sort of slipped out for Prue, I think, is because she just could not understand why she thought she was agreeing with what she thought were proles um, championing
1: freedom. Can I just say, what does it say of Murdoch's press that during Anti-Poverty Week (laughs) he gets Prue Goward to write this article,
0: <laughs> yeah, so so the reason that we really want to focus on this is because we often if if you're in the social justice area and you're seeing certain um, policies and certain decisions being made, Usually you don't get to see the attitude behind them. You can only infer what the attitude must be. When when you hear people saying, well, we don't think we should raise the unemployment rate above half the poverty line, you're like, who thinks that? You know, how could you think that? And so um, it's really interesting when exactly. you say <laughs> <laughs> this is really good because it's not just me and Kevin being paranoid. This is actually a real black and white demonstration of what they're thinking. So, um, how are we going for time here? Do we?
1: Well, we're almost halfway through the show, and, mm-hmm. and I usually play a halfway through the show. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to? Go for it. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience
0: of unemployment and underemployment.
1: Here on Three CR Community Radio. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet,
0: www.3cr.org.au.
1: Indeed you are, 3CR, Unemployed Workers Fight, back with Anne and Kev. And we just heard from Lou Reed with his song, Mad, which wasn't entirely about Prue Gowett. I love Lou Reed, but (laughs) but it makes me feel better (laughs) because... Can I read you a few things? Um, sure. That the, uh, this there was is,
0: a bit of reaction, wasn't there? So, we're talking about an article this written This is from by the, Prue Guardian, the Guardian yep, yep. on
1: the 20th of October 2021, written by Amanda Mead. Always like to give, uh, you know, uh, the, credit author, where the where credit's credit's due. Credit where credit's due. Okay, so she says The chief executive of the Australian Council of Social Service, Cassandra Goldie, mm-hmm. said everyone at her organisation was deeply disturbed by the contempt shown for the people on low incomes in this piece. So they're not very happy. Um, Mm -hmm. It is equally disturbing that it was published by the Australian Financial Review over and above the wealth of experts on these issues, particularly people living on very low incomes and the extraordinary people across Australia dedicated to ensuring everyone has enough to cover the basics and live with dignity, Goldie said. And this is Mm -hmm. the point. The Australian Financial Review, Murdoch Mm -hmm. Press, gets Prue Goward (laughs) to write about anti-poverty week, (laughs) you know. Uh, and so it says, yeah, this is, after all, Anti-Poverty Week, and numerous experts have sought media coverage on these issues, in- including from the AFR. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, for example, we have seen a new report showing that more than a million children went hungry last year. Families from all different backgrounds have gone without food over the last 12 months, inc- including professional couples.
0: In Australia. In Australia,
1: Amazing. Christine O'Connell of the Anti-Poverty Centre, which represents unemployed Australians living below the poverty line, Said there was no excuse for the Australian Financial Review to have published the Goward article. Uh, whether it's opinion or not, it, it is abuse against some of the most vulnerable people in the community, O'Connell said. Our lives are tough enough as it is and we don't need this piled on top. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we just have to remind the listeners time and time again, these people are living in poverty through policy choice. It's not their own fault. These are policy settings by the government to put downward pressure on wages.
0: Well, if you listen to Prue, apparently since the 1950s, there has been a remarkable growth in the number of proles, and the welfare state is not entirely to blame. Hmm. So that's interesting. That's a a standard uh, part of the neoliberal thinking, which is the more help you provide people, the more they will want the help. Therefore, the more people you will get on Social Security.
1: What really gets up my goat about uh, the conservatives is this is straight class. Not even class warfare. They, that they are admitting there are classes. You have the proles. She's naming them the proletariat. <laughs> she's
0: happily throwing that word around. Which means, the whole article. Which,
1: which means by definition, she's the bourgeoisie, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the ruling class, and you have the working class.
0: Oh well, we have to go back to that because she does say, as a shopkeeper's daughter, I understood poor people.
1: But she's moved beyond, <laughs> beyond that now. Now, she, now she's up in the um, up in the bourgeoisie uh, yeah, echelon. Yeah. She's, well, she's scaled,
0: of course. The shopkeepers were considered their best example of what was known as the petty bourgeoisie, and they were identified in the Marxist literature, I don't think so much by Marx, as the upper end of the working class who aspired. They were the aspirational aspirational
1: class. entrepreneurs, the ones mm-hmm. who might be able to crawl out of the gutter. And... Right, right. So, so what really annoys me about this, getting back to the point, is yeah. that if anybody from the left starts talking about uh, the ruling class the conservatives come out and saying, "Oh, look at these guys! They're talking. They're talking about class warfare. You know, this is Australia; we're all equal. Everybody has no class e-
0: in Australia. <laughs> everybody
1: has equal opportunity. <laughs> Bullshit! You know, so they will scream blue murder that, uh, um, if
0: you take a class analysis, if you
1: take a class analysis from the left, mm-hmm. but it's one that they sincerely and intrinsically believe in. They they are classist through and through.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Prue has um, yeah, she has a really strange way of talking about Marx as well."
1: Um, you, got sure. the, you got your notes in order there, Anne? No, no. no. Can you hear me shuffling? My I'll, tr- <laughs> I'll try and I'll try and um, uh, think of something intelligent to say while you are trying to find something. Look, what I what I appreciate about this article is just how uh, how open and honest she's been about how she actually thinks. It's one of those rare insights into the conservative elitist mindset um, that fi- finally is kind of honest about how they actually think. You won't hear. ScoMo, regardless of how dim witted he is, Mm. he understands marketing and it's always got to be. And he won't put himself up, he won't hold a hose, he won't do a lot of things. Um, (laughs) But, you know, he understands that you need to try and uh, appear as a man in the street, the ordinary bloke and the rest. He'll
0: put the hard hat on occasionally.
1: But his policies don't uh, don't support that uh, that premise. That's just a marketing yeah. tool. So
0: usually we have to sort of infer from their policies how they think. And thankfully, Prue's come out and said it all. In... <laughs>
1: well, actions speak louder than words, but um, Prue's words um, meet the policy actions of a conservative government.
0: Yeah. Now she does go on to say, government agencies view them with alarm as huge cost centres. They are overrepresented in their use of government crisis services and are always the last to give up smoking, get their shots, and eat two servings of vegetables a day.
1: (laughs) It is so condescending. It's just dripping, isn't it? (laughs) It's just paints this oh, this it is such a um it's a cartoon caricature. Yeah, you,
0: you, um, you if we wrote it people wouldn't believe it, would they? No.
1: Uh, like know. when I read it I thought is this a joke? Is this is this I thought it was a, a joke. Is this at sarcastic first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is this a sarcastic dig? No, this is what what she thinks.
0: Well, it's, despite the billions of dollars governments invest in changing the lives of proles, <laughs> their number increases. Their birth rate far outstripped those of professional couples and they are now a significant potential contributor to our workforce. Except their children languish in the growing number of behavioural support classes in general high schools where they learn little and teachers itch to send them to the local TAFE to do some form of homeschooling and get them off their books.
1: I just want to slap her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a really interesting little aside there because... She is now regarding the TAFEs there as a sort of holding pen for people who can't go through the education system. What's not being mentioned there is how there's been this attack, which is part of the the neoliberal attack for decades now, on the vocational education sector. So there's been this decimation of the TAFE sector, which used to provide a really good, viable pathway into apprenticeships, into the trades, And that's been completely undermined and now instead we've got this dysfunctional, privatised vocational education sector.
1: Which, um, you know, and, the, and the reason they've um, uh, they've trashed the vocational sector is because uh, that breeds unions. Uh, workers mm-hmm. join unions and, and uh, Good point. we can't yeah. have that. And that's why you, you bring in your four, five, seven workers to keep down with pressure on wages and make sure that everything is, is uh, fragmented mm-hmm. so, so you don't have an organised labour force.
0: The bottom line problem here with Prue's analysis is I think she's got causality back to front.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: What she's saying here is that uh, it's the inherent characteristic of certain individuals, such as lacking in discipline.
1: Victim-blaming, victim-blaming, victim-blaming. Mm, which
0: is why people end up in poverty yeah. and why you see this dysfunction. She's flipped it, you know, the causality the other way round, which is like I think we would say it's more that when you put people into poverty, it's then that you see dysfunction. And it's well known in the sociological literature that there's a high correlations between uh, family breakdown, between kids dropping out of school. All the things you don't want to see are correlated with poverty. So if you're managing your economy properly and empathetically, you would do your darndest to pull people out of poverty and you would use the spending capacity of the government to do that.
1: It's, uh, you see, like you do see um, uh, behavioural problems in poverty because the stresses are so enormous. These are symptoms of a circumstance that have been put in because you've got government policies that busted up the unions, that put downward pressure on wager through uh, bringing in imported labour, uh, that shut down the motor industry, which is heavily unionised, uh, that bring in uh, ABNs and make people uh, self-employed and entrepreneurial, uh, which means they have to go and get join the gig economy, so they're driving around food or Ubers or whatever, just struggling mm. to get by. Mm. And she says, oh, oh, no, it's just because they they haven't got the right attitude. or yeah. you just go, no, it's because of your bloody policies. You,
0: yeah, yeah. You. There's a real blindness to the structural causes uh, of um, poverty and insecure work. And then she sort of finishes up here. I love this bit. And yet I like them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so condescending. I'm uh,
0: uh, oh, sorry. I like I like them because they call us out. They are honestly self-interested and you always know what
1: they think. That, now that's code for saying you don't know what we think because we're duplicitous bastards and <laughs> <laughs> couldn't lie straight in bed. But... Well,
0: well, you know what jumped out at me in that was um, the word self-interested. Whenever I hear that word, that is one of the foundation stones. It is like it is hard to really get a hold of how entrenched and how pervasive this is through the whole neoliberal ideology, because self-interested is this one quality that they see individuals as possessing. Like the way the neoliberals describe the individual, they've taken one quality from all the qualities that we might have as humans, and they've taken that one quality and said that individuals are self-interested. And so we've seen that now in their economic models. So an economic model is basically just a bunch of mathematical formulas yep. And the formulas are used to describe something. And what they describe are what they call the rational economic human or the rational economic agent or homo economicus.
1: I was going to uh, interrupt you and say, but you're talking about the economic rational man. you know, oh, And, I am. and, and, and that's, what, that's what they base it on. They think, oh, the one thing which keeps these poor, uneducated, dysfunctional people going is that they're driven by greed just like us.
0: Well, they think everyone is driven by greed. And she's saying they are being honest about being self-interested. <laughs>
1: As opposed to her lying self. <laughs> right,
0: right. So that's why she thinks she's giving them a compliment. <laughs> oh. this, this mythical prole class. She thinks it, it, You're, you're yeah. quite like,
1: uh, look, I know that you're so far down below us there in the gutter, but you're a little bit like us because you too are greedy. It misses out on every other human quality. And, and we've spoken about this before. Mm. When you base an economic system on a basic unit that assumes awesome. that people are driven by greed, you end up with people like this in power and, <laughs> and poverty like we've got. Yeah, it-
0: you wouldn't believe it. It's only since I've started looking into the economics that I've understood how, how much this ideology runs rampant through economics. And it becomes sometimes really obvious, like... Um, For example, if you're walking along the street and you came across somebody who's lying in the gutter bleeding, (laughs) they would say that if you stop to help that person and you bandage them up and take them off to hospital or something... They would say that you are acting in your own self-interest because the sight of blood distresses you or something. So you're not acting because in the interest of the other person, you're acting in your own self-interest. So that's kind of the soft version of self-interest, but it gets even harsher. You know, Kevin, I've decided my arch nemesis is James McGill Buchanan, who. Yes. He's an economist who started a school of economics called Public Choice Economics. If ever there was an Orwellian term, that would be it. And he features in a book by Nancy MacLean called Democracy in Chains.
1: Which is, if you get a chance to read it, it's. It's It's an eye-opener. It's an (laughs) eye-opener.
0: So, James McGill Buchanan, he rewrites the Good Samaritan story out of the Bible in which he says that not only are you acting self-interestedly if you stop and help the person who's bleeding in the street, but you're actually doing them a disservice because you are preventing them from helping themselves. (laughs) You can see where that's going, right? Yep. So when you apply that to economics and you apply that to public policy. You're making policy, them
1: soft and they're going to take advantage of you. And you're training you're training them to do that. So you're better off just leaving them you there. You should
0: leave them lying <laughs> in the gutter. So
1: that they can learn some independence.
0: That's right. So when we say uh, there really is a serious intent to dismantle the social safety net to get rid of everything around Social Security, including the aged pension, because if you weren't smart enough and had enough forethought to save for your retirement, well, that's just too bad.
1: Just too bad for you. And if you happen to be a, a, a female who has um, come out of a, the wrong side of a relationship and never had any superannuation, well, you should have thought about that. You should have years. thought about <laughs> that,
0: that before 40... you got hooked up with that guy, right? yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before the before you know superannuation was a policy, and
0: so if you think I'm being a little bit paranoid or overstating the case, you just have to take notice of these moments when the mask slips.
1: Yeah, look, well, there, there was um, uh, one of our listeners who's smarter than I will uh, know of this study that they did. They asked people that if they were in a plane crash would they expect that most people would step over people in need of help to save themselves mm. uh, or would they help people? And most people said, uh, look in a situation like that where it's an absolute crisis, most people would save themselves. Uh, and, um, and that's understandable because you know, you're going to die. And so it's like self-preservation. Mm. Uh, the actual experience that they have from uh, plane crashes mm. was the complete opposite, wow. is that it is intrinsic human nature to help others. Mm. And not because um, you want to have some feel-good story to tell your mates when, when the plane crash is over. It's just automatic. It's just we are intrinsically social and we want to help each other. And all of these policies work against that. Mm. And, and do you know what? I think they've been quite successful over the last 40 years. They're winning.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, they are winning they are at winning. the moment.
1: Anyway, I think we need to have just a bit of a – a bit um, all a bit grim. We need a quick little song. Um, uh, I normally play current music, but um, uh, I, I rediscovered the B-52s during oh, the week. Oh, well done. Uh, you, you'll know the B-52s. I'll 52s. be dancing
0: around the studio Yes, now. but but this isn't
1: uh, – <laughs> it's not a well-known B-52 uh, B song, so, uh, so here we go. Because we're heading into the weekend, and we need to start learning how to enjoy the weekends again because mm-hmm. everybody in Melbourne is creeping out of COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a bit slow, so this is just to help along. You're listening, You're listening to unemployed, unemployed Workers Fight Back. Here on 3CR Community Radio. So that was the um, the B-52s with Give Me Back My Man. Um, we were going to talk about all sorts of other things. We we're going to talk about COP 26 <laughs> and the impact greed um, has the, uh, impacting on the environment and how we as a species are pretty stupid in the rest. Of it, but we've run out of time. Time to go. Uh, Vicky from Mathalda is coming up next, and we've got to get out of the way. So thanks ployce. for joining us. Catch See you up.
0: next time. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back.
1: Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR.
0: Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au.
1: We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne.
0: And I thank you, Kevin.
1: Oh, no, the pleasure was all mine.
0: Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine.
1: You mean all the pleasure was yours?
0: Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one.
1: (laughs) Well, if you took all the pleasure, that means there's no pleasure for me at all. I I quite enjoy it myself. So if you've got all the pleasure... What, I had no, I, had no I
0: think we should share the
1: pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, like, I don't mind you having pleasure. In you have as much pleasure as you like, right, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so
0: I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you and it was a pleasure. I think we've got a multiple... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.